Hey everyone, welcome to Rajit Show, the show where I interview people who are reshaping what it means to live well in the 21st century. We talk the creator economy, learning and building in public, and how we can hack our way out of our most pressing issues. Enjoy. Hey Leo, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How about you? Not bad, not bad. It's it's bright and early for both of us, but awesome to talk to you. I was really looking forward to this conversation, especially because I I joined the Gen Z Mafia Discord server a couple months ago, and this one name I keep seeing popping up over and over again, someone who's very active. And one of the things I really like about your contributions on the Discord channel is just how active you are in sharing your work and also giving feedback to other people. So let's start with that. What got you interested in this whole Gen Z Mafia thing? Because I actually had Siddharshan Sridharan on here a couple of weeks ago. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I actually discovered him over the summer. I watched the Social Dilemma big movie coming out over the summer that, that changed, I think, a lot of things. And so I, I went to one of the webinars that the Center for Humane Technology put on. And one of the people on there, on that first thing I went to, was part of Gen Z Mafia. And they're like, hey, come check out our group. And so I was Oh, I, I want to check that out. Because one of the things I realized throughout my career, one of the things I haven't been great at is, is like mentoring people. I've done a lot of like knowledge acquisition and not a ton of knowledge sharing. I kind of popped my head into Gen Z Mafia and I was like, well, this is a good place that maybe I can offer some of the things I've learned to people who are interested in hearing it. Yeah. And so by doing that, I actually found like I, I've met some really cool people. I've started some really intriguing conversations, ended up on this podcast. It's opened up a whole lot of doors uh, and not necessarily what I was expecting when I first joined, but it's been an exciting ride. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely the unexpected. One of the things that stands out to me is just how serendipitous things are on there, right? It's okay, let's do this. And then five minutes later, you got 20 or 30 people moving in the same direction as you. But also the fire sets too. It's absolutely amazing the people that they get on there. Actually, funny story about that. Jeff Lewis was on there uh, a few weeks ago from Bedrock Capital. And through that, I ended up writing an article on my blog about one of the things that, that he said. And I sent it to him. And through that, I made a little bit of a connection with them. And then I have a meeting with them now in January as a potential investor for my company. So that, like, yeah, that, that fireside directly led to me like creating this relationship with somebody who I wouldn't have known otherwise. I'm really excited. I, I think that he and I have a lot of the same vision for the world and looking for investors. Like He's one that I would just love to have on board. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's one of the things that I think about too, in terms of the internet shrinking these geographical distances without Gen Z Mafia, but without even this medium, how do you meet Jeff Lewis? And how do you push, and obviously we're going to get to the thing you're building in a little bit, but how do you push this thing out into existence? And that's awesome. Super excited for you. And and right, that's a great way to to use that. (laughs) And so, you know, you get started with Gen Z Mafia and both my parents are engineers and and one of the things that they talked about, so they're both around 50 years old. One of the things they talked to me about how Older engineers certainly feel a responsibility to share knowledge and also mentor younger engineers. So have you, you mentioned sharing. I've seen a lot of stuff, you talking about writing and and stuff like that. How, I'm just interested in, have you developed like a one-on-one relationship with anyone through Gen Z Mafia or anything like that? Yeah, like I, I have a couple people in particular, just people who who read my writing and will ask some questions. And then there's uh, I was talking to Josh from Good Values Ventures, I think I can't remember the exact name of that, and building up some of these relationships and going from there. So yeah, there's definitely been a few that that, that have stood out, and I'm excited for the community because I think it's just going to be something that I continue to build relationships with, with. The thing I love about Gen Z is, is I think. Gen Z is the first generation that really understands how powerful the internet can be and how much it can shrink the world. And while I'm trying to act as a mentor, I'm also like learning and looking for kind of the next big ideas. So I think Gen Z is where the next big, where the next big ideas are going to come from and just trying to not only teach, but also learn. I think it's important to have both sides of that relationship because I think too often that people are like, oh, I'm the teacher. I'm going to teach everything and you can't teach me anything. And I think that's backwards. Everybody can teach everybody something. Mm -hmm. And so it's being open to to learning about new ideas and having an open mind 
and really mm-hmm. trying to just explore ideas that, that maybe a lot of people don't want to. Yeah, it's one of the things I definitely struggle with all the time is, is treating someone like they're an expert in something. But yeah, you one, one of the things that's so interesting is there's this, and certainly we can talk about how this inspires the human API and stuff like that, but there's certainly this sort of apocalyptic feeling around technology right now. And I think Gen Z Mafia is certainly one group that really is inspired by and believes in the power of technology to solve problems. And that's so refreshing to me. Yeah, definitely. And that's the double-edged sword of technology, right? And that's how it's been through all of history. Like technology comes along and it can be super powerful for good or it can be used for evil, if Mm -hmm. you will. And so it's a matter of trying to understand what we're doing as we're doing it. And it's been interesting because the rate of speed of technology has started going so fast it's hard to know some of these consequences as you're doing it. Cause you know, it's not, you, you, it's hard to think like how some technology will affect the entire world. You think about Mark Zuckerberg when, when he's building Facebook, I, I'm sure there was no way he imagined right. that it is what it is right. now, but now it's literally a force that can change the outcome of, of humanity. And it's something that I think we have to start being a little more careful with. I think we need to, slow things down a bit. Like I think startups right now, it's always trying to be the next unicorn. And so there's all this push for speed and really, no, we need to slow back, slow back down and understand what it is that we're actually doing and think about those long-term consequences and not just the short-term profits. Yeah. That's, I love that you said that. I, the, the person I spoke to last weekend was Rahul Rana, who you may know he's writing this book called Making Moonshots, which is about moonshot companies. And he, he has this phrase that he calls wise companies. And what a wise company is, is just someone that's considered the first, but also the second, third, and fourth order effects of the innovation that they're bringing into the world. And he talks about the importance of that. So I love that you brought that up because he's more interested or more well-versed in this space than I am, obviously, because he wrote a book about it. But he's talking to me about companies that are starting mind control robots or companies that are doing some really genetic engineering around looking at different populations that have developed certain mutations and seeing how they can create a pill around these things, right? So the example he gave was that there's indigenous population whose metabolism spikes at night. And that's an interesting thing that I'm sure there are people around, specifically our country, that would be interested in. But what does it mean to do that? But how can you also safeguard that? And and another thing that comes to mind is the person I spoke to on Sunday, right? He's working at Kernel, which is literally like a personal. So the idea behind Kernel is like it's a personal brain health device. You put this thing on your brain and you can read your brain data, if you will. And so you can look at, okay, I'm more creative, more analytical at this point, right? Oh, I just went on Twitter for an hour. Okay, now my mood has changed and stuff like that. And I like how you talk about speed because I think it is so important to consider. Obviously, no one gets anywhere in a free market society without creating some sort of value. But I think it's incredibly important to consider, okay, what? how does this change geopolitics? How does this change just fundamentally the way people go about their day-to-day? How does this change spending habits and, and, and all those other things? Yeah, yeah. So to me, that's been really important. And a lot of my research has been like economics and specifically behavioral economics, right? So why do people spend money the way they do? Why are the market forces go the way they are? And so really trying to understand like how people work, that's been really interesting to me. Combining that kind of with my computer science, software engineering background, like it's been... I think there's this, there's a weird push to turn humans into computers and then turn computers into humans. And to me, that is absolutely bonkers. Why don't we use technology for what it's good for and let humans do what they're good for? Because by maximizing the, the strengths of each, like we can combine those to, to make something great. And yeah, it's to me that like reading the brain data, that's super interesting. But also, I feel like it's getting us away from humanity. Like for me, the, the way to understand that is to do self-reflection, right? And think about what emotions did I actually feel during while I was scrolling on Twitter? How did that make me feel? How did that change my mood from before I got on Twitter? And so I, I think we're trying to like 
hand off some of the things that make us better humans to computers. Mm -hmm. And so we're not doing that work on ourselves. That's one of the areas that I'm I'm interested in because I could say that from experience because for the longest time I've tried to, I honestly wanted to turn myself into a computer. And, And so I literally train myself to just consume massive amounts of data and analyze it. And like I studied machine learning algorithms and things like that and change some of my habits based on that to try to just process data. And it is, uh, that's not a great way to live life, honestly. You miss out on a lot of what the great part of being a human is. So yeah, I can consume a ton of data, but I've also forgone a lot of other experiences because of that, because I've spent like a lot of my time just learning and consuming information to try to understand things. Yeah, it's a a careful line to walk. Mm -hmm. Certainly right. If we don't develop certain muscles, then, then we'll lose them. And it's great that you talk about sort of using technology to take control of our lives. You could argue our phone is this sort of anxiety inducing machine or in, in some sense, technology does control us. But I'm interested in what you said about training yourself to consume massive amounts of data. What was the motivation for that? And, and sort of clearly you learned that wasn't something you like to do. And I mean, honestly, it, it, it is something I like to do, but uh-huh. it's, it's not the only thing I like to do. And, and for a long time, that's the majority of what I did. Like working as a software engineer, I, I wasn't always like, I had a habit of trying to learn like, as much about the system as I could. So it's not just the components that I'm working on, it's all of the components that touch that. And so other people were disconnecting from work and I'm sitting there like trying to plug deeper into my work and understand more and more of the systems that are, that are happening. And so for me, it's really about finding my balance. And so I can you know, still learn about all that stuff, but I don't have to learn it all today. I can do other things <laughs> and think longer term because my relationship with technology has been such that I, I, like I built my first computer at age 12. I, I grew up like with the internet. I, I was actually using a computer to dial into like old bulletin board systems before the internet actually existed. And so I've really been there since the beginning. And so I let that really take over as I tried to advance my career, meet my own goals. And so it, it kind of came to a point uh, over the summer where I ended up being like, well, I've got to take a step back because I'm just, I, I'm turning myself into somebody that I don't want to be because I'm trying to like do all of this stuff based on trying to just advance my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and now I'm like losing track of everything else in life. And so other things were getting put on the back burner. And so one of the things I, I was recently, actually I just dropped out. I was in a second master's program. Like I'd gotten a master's degree several years ago and then I ended up starting another one for uh, multiple reasons, but one of the things that helped me do is learn more, right? Consume more information. And so like I was doing all of this stuff and I was just packing it all in and trying to do so much with it that it just needed to, I needed to like back up and just almost completely just disconnect from everything to, mm-hmm. to try to reset my brain. That That's what I'm, that that's the state that I'm in. I'm trying to just make sure that I'm the one in control of my thoughts and actions and not just using technology to like trigger reactions, that kind of dopamine spike. Right. Yeah. It's signal curation is difficult. It's really challenging because we don't know what's influencing our brain all the time. And it's so easy to just get bombarded by stuff. Yeah. That's it can take over really quick. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's it's interesting. Someone put this study out here. I don't want to get too deep into it because I didn't actually read it. But it, it, it showed that the majority of American adults would prefer to be shocked rather than sit by themselves and do nothing for a few hours in a room, which is crazy, which is absolutely nuts. But I guess that's where we are. W- one of the things you mentioned was about setting... Um, goals. And I, I just saw this, uh, a friend of mine that runs this podcast and he had Sam Altman on there. And then he talked about stepping out of short-term games, right? It's easy to get locked in those short-term games. But as you mentioned, you had bigger goals that you felt that you weren't working towards as a result of that. And so one of the things I do want to talk about is goals. You set, so I also want to get to this whole thing of writing in public. I think you do it really well. And I'm just interested in how you got started there too. But you set some crazy goals on your blog 
for those people who don't know, again, the one person watching this, Leo is supposed to be a billionaire by Christmas. Gosh, what else was there? Uh, I'm looking to sweep the Nobel prizes next year. That that's that's a big goal if we get rid of the billionaire one. But yeah, uh, no, that's I I don't know which one is more possible. Honestly, I have no idea. I don't either. <laughs> but yeah, talk a little bit about setting crazy goals and, and and why you do that, but also what you learn as a result of that. Yeah, actually, I did it very intentionally, right? Like I set these absolutely ridiculous goals because one of the things I, I realized was that I was so focused on the short term. Like I, I, I was really good at kind of meeting short term goals, but I, I didn't really do much planning for how my short term goals affected my long term goals. And so just in my research of constantly trying to figure out how to maximize my brain power, if you will. The, the idea of setting goals and how people will tend to like figure out how to meet their goals. So I decided I'm going to try this experiment. I started writing. So I'm just going to put these crazy goals out there and see if I can actually get even close to them because like trying to advance in kind of a normal career, for example, like it's, I'm working, I don't even know how many hours it was like earlier, you know, this year trying to figure out a way to advance my career and get to that next level. And so I'm trying to meet these specific goals and it work. And it, that was just not in my power because like it, it requires way too many other things I have to have. If I want to you know, get a new position at work, like I have to wait for that position to open up or I have to convince people to create new positions for me. And I tried that and it just ended up not working. So then I was like, you know what, let's set some like ridiculous personal goals. Like just that only I can really influence these are goals that are just like based on me. And so I'm going to set these goals and then see if I can figure out how to get there. And so really the, the crazy thing about like setting a goal of being like a billionaire by Christmas, all of a sudden I have to completely change the way I approach things because there are ways to get there, but they're not easy. And you have to get really creative in your thinking, like, how could I possibly do this? And for me, it's, you do have to be careful with that because it has to be something that is actually like, possible in a sense. And like I say that one of the things that I've set too is like weight loss goals, but that really has to be a slower process that just takes time. And you, right. you can't, you can't take shortcuts. Like technically I could cut off an arm and I would lose weight. But that's not a realistic like thing. But like for being a billionaire, it's like, okay, let's study money and how money works and how the skills that I have can translate into potential earnings. Because one of the things that I've, I've had a hard time with is like valuing my work. Like I hate charging people for my work, which is why I never went into freelance, like things like that. I've always been focused on this. Okay. I have a job that pays me a salary. That's where my money comes from. And I, I think honestly, a, a big part of that is just like, I, I've had enough privilege in life to be able to take that normal path. I, I went to college. I messed around for seven years, eventually got my degree, started family, got a job, like started advancing my career through that. But I went off track here, but like, I kind of just let my life take this standard linear path. And that's not really who I am. Like when I first was back in college, I was completely out there. Like I had a ton of facial piercings and stuff. And I, I just, I was marching to the beat of my own drum, like the whole time. And I had to really scale myself back to fit into this corporate mold of like, how can I get myself a decent paying job and work towards financial goals? And one of the things I realized is like this whole system, uh, this whole like idea of how things work, like it doesn't work. Like it, it is outdated. This whole idea of you go to college, you get a job, you're going to make enough money to survive and you'll be able to buy a house. You'll have your family. No, it's all a lie now. And I can say that I've been, I've been wanting to buy a house for my family for a number of years, but based on like stupid things I did in college, like my credit score still sucks. And a lot of that is, yeah, I haven't put a ton of energy into fixing that. And I could have, but I was like always of the impression, like I'll get to it eventually. Like that's not really where I wanted to focus. And so, yeah, it's been trying to take all of these ideas and say, okay, what if none of the rules like that really made sense? And so let's just throw them all out, right? What if I could be a billionaire by Christmas? Let's see how I can get there. 
and really that kind of led me to the idea that like money is data that that's at its most basic thing money and data are the same thing and with the introduction of computers that's where this whole like all of a sudden data became way more valuable because it could be used way faster and you could get more insights than you would just out of a human. And yeah, it's led me on this wild journey of research and discovery. And now one of the things I'm doing, I'm launching this company basing based on the idea that I'm going to build this decentralized internet. And so instead of looking at like pre-seed funding, like I'm talking to venture capital firms and I'm like, look, I want $25 million to build this decentralized internet over the next five years. I don't want a $200,000 check to get me seated. Let's talk big because that way I can slow down and start doing things the right way. So it's like setting these ridiculous goals has forced me to change my entire mindset around how the world actually works. And so it's completely opening up my eyes to these different possibilities that I didn't see before I set these goals. Yeah. I think I might steal that from you. Go for it. I, I, as you're talking, I'm just sitting there wondering to myself, how many people subconsciously think about being a billionaire, but never actually say it the way you say it and then think about mapping their effort to it in the way that you talk about. And I like this idea of I've been at school for a while now. Okay. That's a really weird statement. I obviously, so I I go to Georgia tech. I I'm a second year now. So I went to school all of last year, did school through the summer too. And then obviously I'm, (laughs) I have a week to go and then school's done. But one of the things I didn't like about being at school was that it didn't let me take control of my time in the way that I wanted to. So it's awesome that you went crazy in college because that's always what I thought college was about and crazy in the nicest possible way. You were living and being your most authentic self, it sounds like, which is awesome. But I, I'm really interested in how the internet opens up divergent life paths and I guess divergent in a positive sense. How does it let us live the lives that we want? Because I'm sure there are people out there that do want the stability or at least the, you could argue, maybe the sense of false, perhaps sense of security that comes from having a, a job and living a linear life path, which is fine. But I think there's a certain percentage of people out there that want to do crazy things, that want to live crazy narratives. And so I think that you're perhaps one of those people and, and maybe I am too. Let's let's talk a little bit more about this decentralized internet, actually. So what's, sure. what's going on there and where did that come from? Sure. First of all, I don't know if you've seen the show Silicon Valley, but I highly recommend it. Yeah. And I've been watching that again with my wife this time. And in that, they're trying to build this decentralized internet. And then I'm like, holy crap, that's actually what I'm trying to build, but a different way. Uh, but really, yeah. to me... It, it, what that means is it's a human centric internet. Like I want it. And, and it comes back to the human API, this idea that I want the internet to give me the ability to improve my life the way I want. And, and I want to, for me, that's like thinking about it in terms of let's look at banking apps, for example, right? There's all sorts of these like FinTech apps coming up and you end up having to manage accounts all over the place. Like for me, why isn't there a way that says, okay, I want a banking setup and I should be able to switch out these different banking apps fairly seamlessly so that I can figure out which one fits my life the best. But what happens is you have to pick one and then you're just stuck there unless you put in like a whole bunch of effort to switch. So one of the things I want to do is I want it to be easier for me to sit here and try out a whole bunch of different options to see which one fits my lifestyle the best and then just plug that in and ignore it because now I'm, I'm good there and so I can start optimizing this other area of my life. And two, I, I think the thing that it needs to have is it has to give people the ability to have ownership over their own data because mm-hmm. right now, like my data is scattered throughout the internet. Every site that I visit has a small piece of me But the thing is, it's not even, it's a piece of me that is also a snapshot in time. So when I join a site, that's saying, okay, here's my information for now. But that's not necessarily true a year or two in the future or or six months in the future, honestly, or or a week in the future. Things change all the time. One of the things for me is, okay, how could that change? And 
So part of my research has been like, okay, let's, I've done a lot of stuff with data as a software engineer. That's been a good bit of my focus, especially for the last few years. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, the thing is, most of our data is already like on three different sites. Right? So pretty much AWS, mm-hmm. Google Cloud, uh, and Azure, right? We have all of this data, like in these databases. What if we just reorganize the way we're storing it? And instead of storing it by company, store it by the individual. And that's a totally doable thing. And then... But obviously the hard part there is going to be like, how do we convince companies to give up control over our data? And the answer is because it's going to be more profitable for them in the long run, because what we can do is we can actually build this data set. So if I want your data, I can pay you directly for it. And then I'm going to get a more complete data set. It's going to be up to date and it's going to make life a lot better for both you and the companies that you're working with because it also forces the companies to provide you better value for your data. Because if you have control over your data and a company is trying to screw you over, like you can just be like, look, that's my data. Like I'm cutting off access to it. So yeah, like part of all this is I have to figure out a way to get to the level that I need to be at to start having the the CEOs and the big guys at the Facebooks, Googles, Microsofts of the world, like I have to figure out a way to be like, I have to stand out enough to where they notice me and start listening to some of my ideas because this is not something I can build on my own. But what I can do is I can build up little ideas of paying people for their data and say, look, here's why this is going to be more valuable. And so that kind of comes along from being this billionaire by Christmas because yeah, I realized like it's all about data. And so I'm trying to make these crazy claims, but then I'm also trying to back it up to get the attention of these bigger companies so we can actually start having these conversations about, okay, how are we going to make this work? Because we can totally do it. It's just going to require something that I think we don't see a ton of, and that is cooperation. Like, I, I think competition is great, but in the end, like, it, it, competition is good for the short term. But if we want to ha- achieve long-term goals, it has to take cooperation. And so that's, that, that's what I'm looking at, this decentralized internet, but it, it's going to have to be a, a group effort. And so either companies will be on board with it, or we're going to have to figure out ways that we can do it without them. And it's going to be an interesting fight, but I, I think we can win it in the next five years or so. That, that's my plan. So we'll see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, I, for my part, will, will do all that I can to get these ideas out there. But Awesome. The, so the human API, as you're explaining it, it's starting to come a little bit more into focus for me. So the human API, is that an encapsulation of my data? And so everyone else has their own. Okay, so that's, because that's really interesting, actually, just imagining your data in just JSON format. Here's what I like. Here's what my spending interests are to get back to the whole behavioral economics part of it and stuff. Well, and one of the things that like has always annoyed me is, okay, these companies are collecting this data on me. Let me have it. I want to see what I can figure out. I want to try to figure out my own insights through my data, not just what you're looking at. And there are some companies that are like, you you can't really get that from them. And to me, it's, so you're collecting all this data. You're not even going to give it to me? What's with that? I want to have access to that. I want to play around with it. I want to see what I can figure out about myself by combining these different data sets. I think that ends up, it can create this whole like when we're talking life hacking, imagine the possibilities if I can look all of a sudden at all of like my financial data and how that correlates to like my nutritional data and look for all these correlations in my individual life as opposed to trying to like look at each piece separately. Because in the end, like our bodies are like these super connected systems and everything we do affects everything else. So looking at something like isolated that is going to give you bad information. Again, it comes back to this whole like human centric, like I want people to be able to use technology to help understand themselves and get to where they want to go. Yeah. As you're saying it, I'm getting more excited just because the whole the, the thing that we started this whole thing by talking about is how do we take control? How do we center our lives around what we're interested in? And right, I think life hacking maybe obscures a little bit of the profundity of what's going on because it's truly, it's radically like placing humans at the center, placing ourselves at the center of our lives rather than, as you talked about, just following this linear path of, okay, I'm going to take what other people give me. And it's, it's obviously a challenge, right? I'd be interested in knowing how 
first of all, right, the first thing you talked about, it's unbelievable because these people are trying to hack our brain constantly, to hack ourselves, expose insights to ourselves about ourselves. Okay, maybe I shouldn't go shopping late at night because I do ridiculous stuff, okay? Or, or, or all sorts of insights. How does it feed into my nutrition, which feeds into my brain health, which feeds into any number of things, right? My my capacity to be a better to be a better son, to be a better student, to be a better friend and all these things. So there's that part of it. But there's also another thing I'm interested in is how these companies are connecting a, a massive number of signals about us, right? How long right. we spent browsing certain sites, what we click on, what we engage with the most, then, you know, what sublinks we spend the most time on. And then you, know, you get second, third order effects and stuff like that. I, I would just be interested in how cohesive their effect is. Because what you're talking about is a radical just reshaping of how data is organized too. Because it would be easy if they had their own, right, Leo API and, and Rajith API in there, which is just, right, some nice JSON that they're calling every time that they're making a decision about us. Mm -hmm. What's actually going on is that they have a bunch of signals that they're analyzing in real time. And then obviously signals that have been accruing based on however long we've been on their sites. And obviously I... I what 90% of our data is, as you mentioned, on three companies' sites. And, right. and you could maybe even throw Facebook on there. So it's it's really exciting to me, but there's, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. Well, see, and I think it's interesting too, because I think once we get this idea out there, I think it opens up some interesting possibilities. Like one of the things I was considering was like, okay, this... If, if this is how we start structuring our data, all of a sudden that gives an option for companies to come in and be like, okay, think of like how, I, I don't know how familiar you are with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, but one of the big things there for like security reasons is for these hardware wallets, right? So you can buy this hardware wallet to store your Bitcoin on and then keep it disconnected from the internet. You could conceivably have companies come in and do that for your data. So that way, all of a sudden you're not having to rely on the Amazons, Microsofts, Googles of the world to store your data. It, it allows other people to come in and compete in, in different ways. But again, I, I don't even know that it's competition because I, I feel like the people who would buy things like that are people who were going to say that there are a lot of people who are like, I don't want you know Google to have any of my information. And so like it, it provides opportunities for companies to work with potential customers and think of some of these like new possible designs and how, so it makes the competition, I, I think more pure because it allows us to, to bring in these ideas that are more focused. And I think it, it goes along to that long-term thinking, right? Like it's a lot easier for me to consider the potential long-term effects when it, it's kind of more on that individual level because you can monitor those effects and say, okay, now since I've made this change, it's taking me in a direction I don't want to go. It allows us to see some of these trends in, in a more short-term manner. So we don't have to wait until Facebook's been around for 15 years, 20 years. I don't know. I actually joined it when it was limited to college students, but I, I no longer have a Facebook account. But yeah, it's one of those things. So it allows us, I think, to think more short-term because then again, like it, it goes to where you can start like swapping things out easier so you're not getting tied into certain companies so if they all of a sudden change the way they do business like what happens if google gets a new ceo who's hell-bent on world domination it would take a long time to get everything out of google and so at that point you're you're not going to be able to adapt nearly as fast as the, the company could because they've got the data there and they can you know have that first mover advantage in this i feel like it really puts the hands back or the power back into the hands of the individual. And that way, if companies like do decide to do something just like off the wall and crazy, you'd be like, too bad, I'm done. Like I'm getting away from you. So at that point, I think it opens up just a lot of possibilities for, for people to take control of their lives. Yeah. One of the things that, right. Obviously, we wish it perhaps wasn't this way, but one of the things that is going to help get this world into a reality is profitability. What does it look like in terms of the economics for companies? And, and obviously for individuals, right, it's 
the evidence is there. I want this to happen. I don't think there's any individual, right? Even people at big tech companies, I would say that they wouldn't want a decentralized internet and, and absolute control of their information and who gets to see it. But I just had sort of two questions that I was wondering about. So first of all, in terms sure. of profitability, right? If a individual says, I don't want Google to see my data, but then they still want to use Google. So that to some extent does limit Google's profitability in that individual case. And so I guess you would perhaps make the argument that that's going to be offset by how profitable they're going to be just interacting solely with individuals who want to use their site. But another thing is, right, in, in terms of taking control of our data. So that's the first question is what about that case and, and just profitability more generally. But then also the second question is, right, who are we relying on to then get our data? Because I guess it's difficult for individuals, specifically non-technical individuals, but even just, right, I guess I consider myself a technical individual and I would have no idea how you do this to collect our data ourselves. Because as you mentioned, Google is sort of occurring a snapshot of our data, but then they also have data from, I don't know how long I've been using Google, you know what I mean? From X many years, Facebook's doing the same thing, Twitter's doing the same thing, however many people are doing the same thing. And so, right, we get this snapshot and even websites with cookies and stuff. And, and, and so how do we then incentivize those companies to give us our data and make sure that we have control of all of it the the whole time. Because maybe when Twitter is trying to hack our brain, it's finding out something different than when Facebook's trying to hack our brain versus when Google's trying to hack our brain. So how do we, I guess, aggregate all those different sources of information, make sure we have control of all of it? And so I, I think to, to answer the first question, I, I think that the model that's going to end up working is that if Google wants your data, they're going to have to pay you for it. That's what I'm basing it on. I've actually devised a system that we can use that would offer universal basic income for the world. Pretty much like putting a, a it's almost like, I don't know exactly how the structure of the, the company that would run that would work, but essentially having almost like a union that's going to act as a collective bargaining group. So, okay, if you want a user's data, you're going to have to pay them X amount of money for it. And so I, I see a few different ways that could end up working. But I, I think you literally could provide universal basic income to everybody. And that actually has some interesting longer term consequences too, because all of a sudden you can actually create these feedback cycles. Of, so the company is going to pay you for your data, but then you have more money to actually buy their products. So when you have a company that's actually providing you value, like you're going to want to keep buying their stuff. And it's all about creating the, these little feedback loops between the consumer and the companies that are trying to sell them products. All of a sudden we're looking at actual like value-based design, marketing, building, and not profit-based. Because right now, those are not always the same. They, they should be, but they're not. And the, this new way of thinking says, okay, we're going to be able to, to do it this way, and it's going to be better. And so it, it comes back to what I'm trying to do now. I'm actually trying to launch a couple different companies right now to try to validate some of these ideas and get that first mover advantage in a few different areas. So all of a sudden, I can be like, look, it's working, right? This is how we make it profitable. And then all of a sudden the Googles, Microsofts, Facebooks, Amazons of the world are like, hey, let's talk. Let's see how we can get a, a part of that. And yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, that's kind of how I'm thinking that'll work. And then as far as like companies gaining insights, like I think it totally makes sense to track users' behavior on your site. But I don't think you need, but if you're going to be using like their demographics, like I think you should be paying them for it. But understanding how users are using your site, like that's important from like a user experience perspective, right? Like you want to understand what the users are doing and because you do want to provide them that value. So if it's something where like your user interface is confusing to people and they can't figure out how to buy your product, even if they want it, I think it's important to understand like how like button placement and size and, and coloring, there, there's a lot of like really good information there that's not malevolent in nature. And so I think it's reasonable for companies to collect that kind of data and analyze it. And honestly, like, I don't care about 
how Twitter's users, like how my data would get used to, for Twitter to see, okay, this is how they're acting. And Twitter yeah. might be a bad example because it goes away from that. But initially, the kind of e-commerce idea I was thinking about, but, but that idea, right? Like there, there's yeah. certainly information that um, these companies can collect uh, on how people are using their site and trying to understand how to provide the most possible value to customers. And we just like that old saying, if you're not, pe- like, if you're not paying for a product, the product is you. Yeah. Like that, I think we need to absolutely get rid of because that's how we end up with people trying to actually hack your brain and control you. Advertising, I think, is, yeah, I'm, I really hate advertising, actually. Like it's one of the like just absolute banes of my existence. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm trying to crush that whole industry the, the, as it stands because, for example, one of the things that drives me crazy is the watching TV and then these ads pop up. For One of the ones I was watching the other day, it's a very specific lung cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. Okay, it, only use this if your lung cancer is in like this particular stage and it has these biomarkers and everything. I'm like, why are you advertising that? Who are you trying to like, all, all you're doing is you're just confusing people. Should I go talk to my doctor about lung cancer treatments? No. Like, <laughs> your doctor right. should be the one who has that information. And, and so I, I think what's happening is advertising is just throwing so much information at us. That's how we end up in a state where there's this whole idea of fake news, right? Because, like, advertising works if you can convince enough people of your product that, like, you don't actually have to have a product. It's the idea of the snake oil salesman, Mm -hmm. except now it gives the snake oil salesman the ability to have a worldwide market. And all you have to do is convince people of your product. You don't actually have to give them the product. And it's completely, like, skewed how people see the world and like the fact of the matter is there is a single reality there is a truth and and so i i it's looking at how kind of advertising has grown with the creation of the internet and how all of that has built up over time and how society has been impacted by that has been yeah really enlightening to me and as i said i want to crush the advertising industry as it exists right now because i think it's super unhealthy and i I think it really gives a lot of energy to this like whole idea of like fake news and my reality is the thing is we all have a shared reality so it's this weird contradiction right like i'm like let's make the internet all about you so that we can actually all view the same world and yeah, I think it's going to require a big shift in perception. And it's not going to be easy, but it, I think it's something that we need to get to. And that's kind of one of the motivating factors of just that it constantly like pushes me. So every time I see these weird ads of yeah, lung cancer medicine, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, because this makes no sense. Let's just stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm totally rooting for you in the sense that click forums that have sprung up as a result of this whole advertising based model of the internet are damaging. They're polluting our public discourse. They're polluting our politics. They're killing media companies, which in my opinion actually isn't a terrible thing, but, and and I think from a lot of these companies perspectives, it's actually a really good thing. This whole idea of the human centric internet, the human API because they can design, again, these hyper-local experiences, which is what they care about, right? Because right. if they're trying, if they're having trouble curating our feeds right now, imagine if, you know, they can pay us some money and get all of our lifetime's worth of data. They're like, okay, now I have a really comprehensive understanding of this individual. And so I'll show them. And that's like, from a software engineering perspective, it, it, like launching a startup, the thing that I... You know, I've been doing Y Combinator startup school is just a way to get myself into the right mindset. I've been building products for a while. A lot of that stuff I didn't have to deal with. But one of the big things is like, look, just start out by talking to users and getting that kind of data because I don't have this way to go just get this data from you like easily. Like I have to talk to you and say, look, what problems are you experiencing and work with you to figure out exactly what it is that that you're looking for and, and trying to find that product market fit. And so... Yeah, I think that this can be a, a good launching point to yeah, really just help people like get into that mindset of, look, I'm going to create this experience based on the problems that you're actually having. And by doing that, I'm going to figure out a way to, I'm going to get, you're going to want to pay me for it because it's something that you actually want because like I designed it for you. And so, yeah, it, it 
creates some, I think, interesting market opportunities, which, again, boils back to my whole starting multiple companies at once, which on the face of it is like a really stupid thing to do. Like you always hear, focus on one thing with a startup. And the thing is, I am focusing on one thing, but I want to like, for me, I want to be able to collect data from like multiple different industries and figure out how these, like how we can turn this into, I I need to prove my profitability. That's going to be the hard part. But by doing it across multiple industries, like simultaneously, like I'm hoping that all of a sudden people will start to see, okay, hold on. And and again, it comes back to, I'm trying to just do some crazy things to get noticed because that's the way that I'm going to be able to impact people. Like I I need to get, which actually is for the longest time I've tried to not be noticed. Like I've done a lot of just like staying in the shadows and keeping out of the center of attention. Like I've never been one to, to want to be necessarily an internet sensation, but here we go. That's what I need to meet these ridiculous goals that I've set. Yeah. It's making, it's forcing me out of my comfort zone and, but it's also been the most fun I've had in my life. It's funny how that works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're trying to hack this advertiser model to, to kill it. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. That, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> right. W- one of the things that we've talked about a little while, one of the things we still haven't talked about is just your blog and writing in public and sharing your ideas publicly. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. One of the one of the trends that I, I saw up and coming, and I, I don't think it's much of a secret, is this kind of content economy, this creator-based economy. And so I was like, okay, like I I was going for this promotion like over the summer and I didn't get it. And I'd also been interviewing with a couple startups and didn't end up getting those jobs. So I was like, okay, look, I'm not making as much as I want to meet my financial goals. And so how can I start overcoming that? And I was like, okay, I found Medium. I'm like, okay, I I really, I've been reading on Medium at that point for a couple months. I was like, it's a super easy way to get started. So let's just start writing and kind of see how that goes. And it also helped me regain my humanity. As I said, like I kind of, I essentially tried to turn myself into a computer and did a pretty daggone good job of it. But yeah, I didn't have a great feeling of my human side anymore. And so writing helped me understand myself a lot better. And so I started doing that. But then I was also like trying to make money. And then I was like, okay, so how can I get this blog up, up and going faster and faster? And so it took me about a month and then I went viral with that article that you mentioned earlier about the conversation I had with my dad and Donald Trump. And that's been a whole thing. But it wasn't just that writing that article was one thing that that I I wrote that down. Mm -hmm. But then the way that I um, did it, I actually dropped it into various Twitter threads where I knew right-wing people would be. And so I knew it was going to piss them off. Like I knew this headline was going to get their attention and actually wrote it on the, it was the night that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. So like, that was an emotional moment for me anyway. And so I just, I went all in on Twitter. I was just like, you know what, like just dropping it into all these threads of like people and it went nuts. And like over the course of a weekend, yeah, I think, what was it? I think like I ended up getting like 175,000 views over like a three-day period, <laughs> which just, that was insane. I, I'd, I'd never gone like viral. That's not something I, I'd really tried to do, but it ended up like spiraling ridiculously out of control. I was mentioned on Rush Limbaugh twice that week. I ended up getting, I, I had people like sending me like threatening text messages. I got threatening emails. I actually ended up receiving two pieces of physical mail to my parents' address like a week later that I ended up having to call the cops on because I was like, this is super suspicious and weird. I don't know what's in these. You see the news stories, right? Like people sending powders through the mail. Holy crap. What what the hell have I done? People were calling my job and trying to get me fired. my, My boss like messaged me Monday. He's like, we need to have a talk. Like people have been like calling in. And so at that point I was just like, holy, what the hell have I done? You know? Yeah. People are nuts. (laughs) But the thing is, it's not that hard to manipulate people's emotions. It's really not right. That's what writing is. I, when I write, I'm trying to get you to understand the emotions that I feel, or I'm trying to get you to feel a certain way. And there, there's a lot of value there, but I ended up letting my emotions override me and then this whole like trying to make money off of it. And I didn't really care about who I was pissing off with it. 
And so I had to reflect on after that because like when I first started writing, I, I wanted to write to provide value to people and help them and find that, you know, kind of mentorship. As I said, that was one of the things I was exploring at that point. And I'm like, it took me a month and I turned into the exact person that I didn't want to be. I ended up, I, I got rid of like all of my social media. I just blew it all away yeah. and I stuck to writing the blog. I deleted the contact the content of that article and then did a couple reflection pieces on it. I'm like, okay, like here's what I did. And then another one that was like, and here's why I shouldn't have, right? Because this is, this is everything that's wrong with the internet. But that actually gave me a bunch of data that I could then use that led me down my exploration of like advertising and economics and how money and information are related. And then I didn't have social media distracting me. So I had a lot more time for research and things. And then also doing all of that in public, I actually feel like I'm providing like way more value now, but my growth is a lot smaller. And again, it goes back to that long-term goal, right? Like it's really easy to achieve short-term success. It's a lot harder to like provide long-term value. And yeah, it was absolutely crazy. I, I screwed up, but I learned so much from it. Also, when you receive that much hate, all of a sudden it becomes a lot easier to put yourself out there. Cause I'm like, what's the worst that's going to happen? 200,000 people are going to hate me. Send me like threatening mail. Like I've already been there. Yeah. Like going through that, like it made it a lot easier for me to start like setting crazy goals and like contacting people out of the blue and talking to Jeff Lewis. Right. That's not something I would have done before. That's just not, but now I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? Like he's going to not say anything big deal. Like he's not going to send me like death threats through emails. Yeah. It really, it, it, it changed my whole perception of where my comfort zone is because it was so just, it was absolutely insane. And it also gave me that one of the things that like I wanted to build initially too is to keep seeing like a ton of hate on Twitter, right? There, there was so much just absolute hate going on. And so I was trying to like build up this so new social media. That, that was this company I was going to start. I was going to build a new social media that was just better. And so I started designing like what I thought this ideal, like, social media site would look like. And then I realized like, cool, I just designed humanity. That's what I, <laughs> like I, I designed human social structures. Great, like that's not particularly useful for a social media site. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it led me to explore, okay, why do humans form the societies the way they do? And they do so because that's how information flows and humation, information is critical to the survival of the human race. It started out tribalism, right? Like you want to communicate because you want to know if that, you know, where the tiger is, that's going to eat you or you have to, okay, don't jump off that cliff. You're going to die. Don't eat that. So it's all this like transfer of information. And then human society has been able to advance based on like the number of people connected in society. But then all of a sudden the internet came along and social media came along and it created all of these like bizarre connections between humans mm -hmm. and then left them open. You think of a normal lifetime, you connect all sorts of people through your life, but like people that you bump into, you're never going to see them again, like necessarily. But now all of a sudden there's this connection to this random person on the internet that is always out there. You look at Twitter, like all these tweets that these conversations that can then be pulled out of context. And when you pull things out of context, again, it's really easy to manipulate emotions. Now, like, you can do all of these just absolutely insane things with, with the flow of information that um, weren't possible before. And unfortunately, a lot of people are taking advantage of that because that's where money is. And humans are really good at figuring out how to make money because that's, you know, how they get ahead. So, yeah, it was, it was, it's been an interesting journey so far that, that like, I didn't quite imagine that's where I was going to end up when I started writing a blog, like back mm -hmm. in August or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's been a crazy journey and a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I love the thing you said about, I, I heard one person explained it to me this way one time. It's like social media and inputting things. It's like consuming fatty foods. And so creating something and writing something that's like exercise. And so right. you were exercising your mind and, and you felt a lot better. And I think, I think if you asked people, I think a lot of people would have similar experiences and that they just feel better writing. Uh, <laughs> about yeah. And for me, it's been a lot easier to like understand myself as I start writing it. It's crazy. Like I'll start writing things at times and be like, Oh wow. Like 
really like that. That's how I feel about that. I didn't even necessarily, it's not something I, I thought because like when I write, I just try to, it's very stream of consciousness for me. Most of my blog posts are like, I'll sit there and just like type for 20 minutes and or, or up to an hour or whatever, depending on the, the size of the post and do very little editing on it. And for me, it's trying to find that balance of putting myself into the story and providing value. Like mm-hmm. I, I haven't quite mastered that, that balance yet. It's also been super helpful as far as my communication skills, because obviously like I've got all sorts of like crazy ideas going on now, the things that I'm trying to do. But when you try to like, like I've been trying to create all these like social connections because that's how I'm going to end up being able to achieve my goals. And so starting out, what I would do is I would just dump information on people. And that doesn't work very well. Let me tell you, I've sent like emails of just two page long emails of, Hey, here's all of my ideas. I'd love your help on this. And they're like, who are you? What is this? (laughs) You sound crazy. And so figuring out how to communicate these ideas, like on my blog, it's been helping me like understand how to create better connections with people. Cause like I, I've never been great at like the whole networking side of working. Like I'd, I'd always been super focused on the tech and I wanted to make the tech. That's where I wanted to be. But yeah, it's a lot harder to communicate clearly in a way that people will actually want to be able to help you. Yeah. And so it's a matter of giving people like just enough information to get them to that next conversation. And so I think, again, for me, it goes back to that whole short term, like I'm just going to dump information at you and then hope you can um, decipher it versus the longer term. Let's start building up this relationship that will eventually you know, be beneficial to both of us. Mm-hmm. And then another added benefit, actually, is that because I hadn't been building in public before, like I've always I, all of the, the programming and stuff I've done has been for like these private companies. And so it's like internal, like I don't have the track record of somebody who started up several companies and had big exits, but I've done the same kind of work, just it's all hidden. So now I've got to figure out how to like show that. So for me, it's been like, okay, I'm going to write all of this stuff down. I'm going to write these articles and, and things. And so like actually in the pitch deck I put together and I've been sending out to investors, I was like, okay, here's some references, like these articles that I've written on these various subjects. And so now I can say, look, I've done all this research and things like, I'm not just talking like these crazy big ideas. Like I have put a ton of work into this. Like, I know I'm asking for some insane things, but I honestly believe that we can get there. And I have this idea of how we can be profitable with it. So now it's like, I'm starting to set up meetings with investors and things because I finally am getting better at communicating my vision and helping other people see the world that I want to create because I I think it is, it's a world that's better for everybody. So I I think it's a matter of time, like until the whole world gets behind this idea. And like one one of the things that I I keep coming back to, Peter Thiel's book, uh, Zero to One, I don't know if you've read it. I highly recommend it if you haven't. But yeah, he, he talks about how to create a startup, like you pretty much have to create like a cult. Like that, that's what it boils down to. You have to be a cult leader. You have to convince people of this vision of the world that doesn't exist and you have to get them to buy in wholeheartedly to it. And yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to, to build my own cult. And by doing it the, the, the hard way, the slow way, it's going to be a better cult in the end, but yeah, it's harder to get there. It's been taking longer than I would like because I'm so used to like that instant gratification that technology has given us. It gets frustrating at times. Like it's not going as fast as I would like. But understanding that and saying, okay, like, how can we slow this down and make make sure that we're doing things the right way? Because that's super important to me. And I want to make sure that I keep coming back to, I want to do things the right way. I don't want to do things the fast way. I've done things the fast way. I've shown that you can do things the fast way, but that's just not who I want to be. So I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah, I really appreciate that whole sentiment of... And I think it's what, you know, people write about separating successful people from people who aren't as successful in that successful people do end up adopting this Herman Melville-esque idea of just puttering away in obscurity for as long as they have to, because they know what they're making is worth it. And definitely, you know, what you're creating sounds like it's definitely worth it for, for humanity and also for all of us. Yeah. And that's, I keep coming back to, I'm like, this is honestly, it's risky for me. I'm the sole income of my family, right? I've got two younger kids, a wife. So it's been also like, 
I really need to figure out how to get funded and fast. So it, ironically, like to be able to make money the slow way, I have to make a ton of money fast. <laughs> and it, it's my life is this wonderful world of all sorts of these paradoxical kind of feelings, right? Like I have to slow down to speed up and I have to speed up to slow down. It, it's all sorts of weird, but is actually getting me to, to where I want to go. I've got my first kind of meeting with an investor tomorrow. So I'm super excited for that. As I said, I've got Jeff Lewis in January. I've got a few other conversations that I'm hoping will pan out. But yeah, it's, I've got to figure out how to do all of that like before the m bit of money I had saved up runs out. There, there wasn't a ton there. So it's okay, how can we make this work? And, and yeah, it's forcing me to be super creative in how I approach things. And one of the things I've done is I threw my pitch deck up as my pin tweet. Just so I, I find like VCs and stuff on Twitter. And I'm like, hey, you interested in a decentralized internet? Check out my pitch deck. Like just doing crazy things like that. And a lot of them, they, I, they just get ignored. But like one person's like, that's a really cool idea. Like I'm going to check that out. Maybe it'll pan out. Maybe it won't. But like, it, it's leading me to some kind of interesting possible solutions to make all of this work, like knowing that I have this limited time frame. But again, really believe in what I'm doing. So I feel like all I need to do is get in the door, which to, to me, that's the hardest part because I didn't, I, again, I didn't spend a ton of time like networking and building up these connections. So I've got to figure out a way to supercharge, like building up like personal connections with people. But it, it's been fun and things like me being on here. Yeah, it's been pretty cool. I'm sure some of them will be successful. And yeah, best, best of luck to you. It's really exciting, really awesome to talk to you. I really appreciate you, you making the time. Appreciate and having yeah, me on here. I'm, I'm going to keep thinking about this idea and do whatever I can to help you get it out there. But best of luck to you. I appreciate that. All right. Take care. Thanks so much for All talking right. to me. Thanks. Yep. You too. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please like, subscribe, tweet, text, and share so that more people can find the podcast. Take care, and we'll see you next time.